Well, good morning. This summer we've been studying the book of James. We are to the final chapter. We only have a couple weeks left. And, um, woohoo, yeah, because James is tough. <laughs> it, it's hard to, it's uh, easy to read from a literary standpoint. He uses very simple words and language, but it is tough. It, it like gets you right here. And we have one last tough message, and then we get into the last part of chapter 5 where um, James is very encouraging and it's very exciting. But um, usually we, we read our passage first and then I tell you stories and things to illustrate. I'm going to start with the stories this time, okay? John Wesley. He was an Englishman who lived in the 1700s, graduated from Oxford, very smart guy, um, ordained Anglican pastor. And so he started his career preaching in the Oxford Anglican churches. And he preached the gospel. He went in and he said, we are all sinners. I've done wrong things. Paul said he was the chief of sinners. We've all done wrong things and we need a savior. And thankfully God has not abandoned us, but he sent his son Jesus who willingly died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins. And God raised him back up to life. Amen. Conquering death for us so that whoever believes in him, God's Holy Spirit will come and live inside that person and give them new life. There's like new life 1.0 and new life 2.0. New life 1.0 happens on this lifetime where the Holy Spirit begins to bear God's character in us. Things like giving us joy and peace and self-control and love, all of that stuff we call the fruit of the Spirit. And then New Life 2.0, that's when we die, God's Spirit raises us back up to eternal life just as he raised Jesus Christ up to life. This was the message John preached. And they hated it. They sat there, these, you know, Oxford elites, and were like, I am not a sinner. What do you mean? I'm not a sinner. They were deeply offended. And they kicked him out. All the churches in Oxford kicked him out. So he went to the next city. Same thing happened. And the next city, he he started traveling on horseback all over England. He eventually got banned from speaking in any church in England. The religious leaders banned him. So now here he is, a preacher. And he's not allowed to preach. And John doesn't know what to do. And he gets this letter from his friend, George Whitfield. And George says, hey, come preach in the fields. People are responding. And John's like, preachers don't preach in fields. Like, no respectable Englishman would do that. That's like, that's sin because like God gives authority to the church and the church decides who to preach. They ordain preachers and the preachers preach where the church tells them to preach in the church. And this is like rebellion. And then he got out his Bible. I don't know how many days later it was. He got out his Bible and he started reading Jesus's most famous sermon, which is the sermon on the... Mount. Yeah, exactly. And he's, and it just like a light bulb went off. He's like, oh man. Jesus was rejected by the religious elite and kicked out of their synagogues, their churches. And he went and he preached in the fields and on the mountainside. So I guess that's what he wants me to do too. 
And so John, he went to the fields outside of Bristol, England, where the miners, there, there were mines there, and they would come out of their, the mines at the end of the workday into these fields. And there were other peasants there, farmers and women and children, all kinds of people. And he started preaching. And he got to the part of a sermon where he says, and we are all sinners. And he's like, you know, because this is usually where they would start throwing things and like grab them and throw them out. And yeah, and he's just like, and someone called out, go on. He's like, we are all sinners. And they started nodding. These poor people had no pretense of perfection. And some started weeping and they started confessing about like beating their wives or being alcoholics or beating prostitutes and like all kinds of things. And the good news of Jesus Christ that God had not abandoned them but came and wanted to save them and give them new life. They just gladly accepted it and hundreds of people were saved. And so John, he began to form them into little groups. He called them bands so he could teach them. And about God's word and his wisdom so they could grow in their faith. And some funny things started to happen as, as he did this. One thing was the miners um, stopped swearing. And then they would go to work. And the mules didn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. Like the mules did not know go and stop. Like all they knew were the cuss words. And so the mining production like came to a halt and they actually had to like retrain the mules. And uh, the taverns also started to empty. And and John started to preach the Sermon on the Mount where, and um, Jesus' teachings in Matthew where he talks about the little children and how much value they have. And so people stopped sending orphans to work in the mines and instead created homes for them. And he talked about Jesus, how he said, do not withhold wages from a worker. And people started protesting. And business owners got really ticked out about all of these changes. And so they hired a thug named George to go and kill him. And George went with some of his buddies to go and kill John Wesley. And, and John Wesley says, why are you trying to kill me? Is it because God loves you? And they're like, what? George got saved. And he became John's bodyguard. <laughs> um, but, but this pattern continued. And George would go from, or George, John would go on horseback from town to town. And the same thing would happen. And it was hundreds of people, and then it became thousands of people. And these little bands eventually became churches. And eventually it became a denomination called the Methodists, because people would make fun of them for how they would methodically study the Word of God and apply it to their lives. And from there we got the United Methodists, the Free Methodists, the Wesleyan denomination, that's us. There's over 40 denominations that can trace their roots back to the ministry of John Wesley. But at the end, towards the end of his life, John is still traveling on horseback all over England, preaching to what are now congregations. It's the same people. They have church buildings or congregations now. And he notices that these people who were miners, who were peasants and in rags, they are now coming to church with powdered wigs. And the women are wearing fur coats. And it was just astounding 
the work that God had wrought in their lives. Where he took them from being like the poorest of the poor to middle class. And some of them even became like bankers. And it didn't happen overnight. You know, this isn't like what you hear from TV evangelists. That if you donate to my ministry, God will bless you and make all your dreams happen this year. Now, this was something that like 40 to 50 years. The changes that happened in these people's lives. And John, he was, he was just in awe of God's blessing upon his people. But at the same time, he was a little leery. Because the congregations looked a lot like the congregations who were kicking them out of churches 40 and 50 years earlier. And so he, he started to preach some very famous sermons. You can still find them online. And one of his lines that he said, he said, Earn all you can to save all you can to give all you can. Remember who you were and how you were poor. And know that God has blessed you not because you are so good, but because he is so good. And he has a plan for the money he's giving you. John also said, money is an excellent gift of God, answering the noblest ends. In the hands of his children, it is food for the hungry, drink for the thirsty, clothing for the naked. Which brings me to our passage today from the book of James. I've been telling you all summer that James, the theme of it is how to lead ourselves well during hard times. And another thread of that theme is how to lead ourselves well when we're wealthy. James addresses that over and over again. And I just want to clarify what I mean by wealthy because none of us feel wealthy. You know, as Americans, when we think of wealthy people, we think of millionaires, right? Um, just a couple weeks ago, we hosted a pool party for a bunch of teenagers. And um, we don't have a fancy pool. It's just like the small, medium-ish size above-ground pool. And these teens were in it. I don't know. They packed somehow like 20 teens, and they're all like this, you know. Um, but they were having a great time. And um, they came in to get some hot dogs. And one of the girls saw that we have a ping-pong table. And she's like, you have a ping-pong table too? She's like, you're rich. And I was just like, she's like, it's okay, you can own it. And in my head, I am thinking about how when my kids were babies, we were on food stamps. And all the years we were planning a church in Mason, we made below minimum wage. And we never knew where the grocery money or the mortgage money was going to come from week to week. And then I sit here in the house I have now, and, uh, you know, we got a bowl and a ping pong table, and we're rich. There's some of us in this congregation who struggle to pay just for our basic necessities, like a good home and food, and I get that. And we need to know that not all passages of Scripture are addressed to all people equally, all right? The passage for today is addressed to Christians who had disposable income. And it talks about how we are to use it. 
Next Sunday, we're going to read a different passage. Next Sunday, from here, like after today, like the rest of James is like, woohoo, feel good stuff. So, um, and it will speak encouraging pe- words to people who are working hard and haven't seen it pay off yet. All right? But today we're reading about how God calls Christians out for when we misuse our wealth. That's the context. Um, but before we dive into it, I want to highlight some other things that God's word says about wealthy because it's not wrong to be wealthy. It's our attitude about wealth that may be right or wrong. Proverbs twenty-eight nineteen. There's like, I could have listed like a hundred verses. I just picked a few, okay? Proverbs twenty-eight nineteen says, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. Not plenty of luxury, but plenty of what you need. Right? But he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. A good verse about working hard. Next verse. Proverbs thirteen eleven says, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. The church, the Bible has no nothing written in it for good get rich quick schemes. In, including donating to television evangelists who say if you donate to them you'll get wealthy quickly it's just not in the bible it it reminds me of the stats on lottery winners 70 percent of lottery winners are broke in three to five years wealth gained hastily will dwindle but whoever gathers it little by little will increase it proverbs 10 22 the blessing of the lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. First Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain. We're not to trust in it, but instead we're to put our hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. It is God from whom our blessings come. And he gives them so we can actually enjoy them. Command them, therefore, to do good deeds, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. This is the earn all you can, to save all you can, to give all you can. Yeah. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation Not for this age. We're not to store up stuff for this age, but for the next age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. It's not about trying to live the good life here. It's about the good life that's coming. And we give all we can not only to store up treasure for the next life, but because of this, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he had everything in heaven, yet for your sake he became what? Poor. So that by his poverty, you might become rich. And we are called to follow his example. Last Sunday, I talked a lot about frosting. I basically said... um, you can't enjoy the best of God's gifts and what he's created without God. 
the sweetest gifts of God, love, marriage, family, um, food, sex, nature, work, athletic ability, creative ability, the ability to build things and feel good about it, all of those are gifts of God. And if you try to enjoy them by keeping God on the margin of your life, eventually you will find them empty and unsatisfying. And it's like eating frosting. You know, that first little swipe you take with your finger tastes good. But if you go for a spoon and grab the can and just... And just spoonful after spoonful of frosting... It makes you sick. And that's what life is like, just pursuing the blessings of God without God. It's like eating frosting with no cake. And the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord, He is God, He is good. So I want to be clear, as we hit these passages from James, which are going to hit us hard, alright? It's okay to enjoy frosting. All right. First Timothy six says God gives us everything for our enjoyment. So you can take that dream vacation. You can buy that special thing you've worked really hard to save up for and buy without credit. God's desire for you is not to be in debt, but to be free. But also know that frosting is only meant to be enjoyed in small doses at special times. It's not meant to be what you live for. God did not create us to continually be entertained. Or to continually just pursue one exciting, fun thing after another. Or to continually upgrade our possessions. That's not what you're created for. You're created to rule. Mentioned this briefly last week, Genesis one twenty six, the creation story. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Why? So they can always be entertained? So they can rule. And we're to rule not for our own whims and our own desires, but in the pattern and likeness of God, as God would rule. That's why we're created. So work hard, okay? Work hard, prosper. Enjoy some frosting, but don't live for it. Because you were made for a better purpose. Amen. Reinvest your time and wealth to make the world a better place. All right, you ready to, for James now? Okay. James, um, I'm just going to start in chapter 4, verse 13. We read this last week. I'm going to read it real quick, and then we'll continue right on into chapter 5, okay? James chapter 4, verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make some money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do, and they do not do it, 
It is sin for them. And I spoke about this more last week, but just very simply, James isn't saying it's wrong to make plans. He's saying it's wrong to make plans, especially about how to get more money, without any consideration for God's will, and without any consideration for the good that God wants you to do. All right? Let's keep reading. Next verse, chapter 5, verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. Ooh, can you feel it coming? Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. That's slightly graphic. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look. The wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Um... How you get wealthy matters. How you accumulate all the stuff you have matters. And you can't take it with you. It's going to rot and fade. And and James here, he's calling out Christians who withhold wages for workers. Now, I'm, I'm grateful. I highly doubt that anyone has slaves back home. Right here, right? You know, you don't, none of us directly withhold wages from workers. But all of us, myself included, I'm in this boat. We indirectly withhold wages from workers. And that's because most of the products sold in the United States are made in part with slave labor. Every two years, the U.S. Department of Labor publishes a list of goods produced by child or forced labor. I read it this week. It's 47 pages. It lists 467 categories of products, not individual products products, but categories of products made in other countries that are sold here that are made with child or forced labor. Products, categories like footwear, ceramics, fashion accessories, bricks, like 467 whole categories. It's overwhelming. I'm not going to read the whole list. (laughs) I won't do that to you. Um, But I want to highlight a few things. Okay. First of all, food. Over and over again. Most food that is grown in foreign countries is harvested by children. Um, especially true of bananas, but other tropical fruits and vegetables. It's true of grains, especially rice. Um, also cattle and fish. 
the easiest solution is to buy things grown in the U.S. And cattle, beef that's raised in the U.S. That's the simplest solution. Some things, of course, can't be raised and grown in the U.S. like coffee and chocolate. Guys, you can guarantee if it doesn't say fair trade on your coffee or chocolate, it's being grown with children laborers. Um, this is from the list. Coffee and chocolate. In Colombia, Peru, Brazil, Cameron, Ghana, Guinea, Nigeria, Sierra Leone, Costa Rica, Dominican Republic, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras. We wonder why these people are flocking to our southern border. Kenya, Mexico, Nicaragua, Panama, Tanzania, Uganda, and Vietnam. Coffee, chocolate that comes from all those places, our U.S. government has determined is being grown with child labor. And there's pictures of kids carrying packs of pesticides on their backs, spraying these crops. Thankfully, um, a lot of this has come to light in the last decade, and there's been a lot of pressure on, like, Nestle and Hershey's and Starbucks and other coffee and chocolate companies, and they're starting to work to clean up their supply lines. So you can go to the store, and you can see products listed fair trade. Yes, they cost more. There's a reason they cost more. I don't know who buys our coffee here at the church. We need to be buying fair trade coffee. Um, it's going to be a bigger part of our budget. That's okay. God will honor it. Uh, one of the things on the list that I really kind of turned my stomach was Christmas decorations from China. Well documented. It's forced labor. They take poor people with no options and make them sign contracts to work in the factory for years, like 10 years of their life. They're not allowed to leave. Christmas decorations. Fireworks made in El Salvador, Guatemala, India, and Peru made with child labor. Children, packing fireworks. Lithium-ion batteries, child labor. In fact, over and over again, the raw metals in our electronics are mined with child labor. That's how we can afford our cell phones and tablets and computers. Another big category was cotton, textiles, garments, clothing of all types. Just... Dozens of pages listing it. I remember reading a report by the U.S. Department of Labor about, it was like five or six years ago, that said it's virtually impossible to buy clothing in the United States that hasn't been tainted by slave labor in some way. It usually happens at the raw ingredient portion, like the picking of the cotton, sometimes in factories too. But... um the bottom line is someone pays the price for the fast fashion that we enjoy. Someone pays the price. So what do we do? I mean, I'm reading this list and I'm getting depressed and overwhelmed and I go and reach for a bag of chocolate chips. And then I'm like, what the heck am I doing? <sighs> you know, that's exactly the problem. These goods are so cheap for us. We act like they're nothing and we just consume them without even thinking. 
And then when they're not cheap for us, we get angry. (laughs) And we blame our politicians for not making good trade deals. A dirty little secret about the U.S. economy. And I, I get that this is not what you came to church here today to hear. Okay? I get that. Um, but no politician is going to talk about this stuff. Because you, you can't get elected if you talk about this stuff. And I'm not a politician. I'm a preacher. And the passage today called out Christians for underpaying workers. And so it's my job to come here and apply it to our context. So that's what I'm going to do. Our U.S. economy, if you think back before the Civil War, right? Northerners could be so self-righteous and talk about those Southerners and how they abused slaves. But the truth was the Northerners also benefited because they bought the cotton. And they bought all those things that were being produced in the South. And so when God's judgment came through the Civil War and his justice came, the South paid a really heavy price, but the North also paid a price. Not as heavy, but the North paid a price too. And then after the Civil War, we outlawed slavery. Yay, wonderful. A lot of American businesses just went further South. And and they cut deals with poor countries, governments in Central America, that if they would, if the U.S. businessmen would cut railroads through the jungle, then the nations, the governments would give them land and cheap labor. That's how banana republics sprouted to be. And those practices have continued. Free trade agreements like CAFTA, the Central American Free Trade Agreement, let U.S. businesses come and operate in Central America about any way they wanted to, freely, without any kind of restriction. And when workers would strike and governments like the Guatemalan government or the Costa Rican government, they would try to pass regulations for just basic human rights, U.S. companies sued Central American governments under CAFTA in one. You can read about it online. There is a price to pay for free trade. It doesn't mean all free trade agreements are bad, but we need to look for fair trade. And I get that none of us sign those kind of agreements in this room, right? So what can we do? First of all, we need to recognize the grace of God. He knows we can't solve this problem overnight. He does not hold us individually accountable for everything that's going on. It's too huge and pervasive for any of us to solve. And God doesn't expect us to. But he doesn't want us to be oblivious either. Secondly, this message is about underpaying workers. It's, it's not for people who are being underpaid. 
That's not who the message is directed to, for people who can't even afford to feed their families. It's directed to now you rich people. So for those of us who do have financial options and can accumulate more, and when we go to the grocery store, we do have options about what we can afford and what we want to buy, what do we do? Well, the first thing is to buy less. We just need to buy less. And stop driving demand for cheap products. Um, We can wear our clothes longer. Go to thrift stores first. We can use our electronics longer. And not just upgrade every time there's a new camera, you know. We can buy things that are made or grown in the USA. It's one of the best ways to help. Um, We can also buy products marked fair trade whenever possible. You guys, it's the little choices. It's the little choices that snowball into having an effect and making a difference, into driving down demand for products made with forced labor. So just start somewhere. Just like pick one thing. I know you can't wholesale change all of your buying habits overnight. But pick one thing. If you want to know more about this, I just, a couple websites. I don't want to overwhelm you with too much, but um, enslaverynow.org is a helpful website that talks about other buying options and other things you can do. Um, The second website is our government website. Um, www.dol, that's the Department of Labor dot gov slash agencies slash ILAB. That's the International Labor Affairs Bureau. And that's where they list. And you, you can read and you can learn about all the products that are used with child and slave labor. Not the happiest things to think about. But guys, we have to stay vigilant because God created us to be rulers who make the world a better place, not consumers who absent-mindedly take advantage of others. And that's good news. That is good news. It means we're not helpless. It means we're not like just these victims caught up in an economic system that we have no control over and we have no options. No, you have options in all things. You are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus our Lord. You are more than a conqueror. You have, you, you have power and influence and you are made to rule and we need to live up to our calling. Not just blindly follow what the world does. And so don't leave here depressed. Leave here empowered. Because you can make a difference. I'm going to pray now because I have no more words left. (laughs) God, your word, so many times it, it comes and it's just exactly what we think we need and it would feel so good to hear your encouragement. And other times your word tells us things we don't like to hear. 
love us. And you have a better plan and a better way of life in store for us. And so God, I pray that you help us to see it and help us to take the steps to realize it. God, thank you for all the blessings, all that frosting that you give us. God, thank you for how you reward us. Help us to continue to work hard and be good stewards of what you give us. And show us how to reinvest so that others will be blessed as well. So that your wealth and your riches will flow to other people as well. Show us just practically little by little how we can be a part of your plan to bless the people of this world and the creatures of this world. May your kingdom come and your will be done through us on earth, even as it is in heaven. We thank you that in all things we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord.